0: Welcome, everybody, to the eighth and final installment in our series, God Can. If you've been joining us at any point over the last many weeks, you know that we've been walking through this collection of sermons together that we believe is much more than a simple collection of sermons. It's a statement of faith that we believe God can. When we can't, God can. When we can't save, because we can't save, God can save. He's the God who can do anything. He can provide, he can guide, he can heal, he can fight for you. Come on, God can do so much. And today, in this final installment of this series, whether it is your eighth consecutive time to join us and lean into these, these, these sermons, or maybe today is your first, I really believe that God has a word for you. I believe that as we study his word together, as we unpack and allow the truth of what God can do to hit your life, to touch your heart, that God is going to do some stuff today in your heart that um, you may never be the same. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that tritely. I don't just say that to say it because some people just be saying that kind of stuff all the time. No, 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 no. Because today, I've come with a word for you. And it's this. If you got your notes, you're pulling them up on our website, or or maybe you just wanted to write some things down. Because we've said so much. Come on, God can can guide you. God can provide for you. Come on, God God can purify you. God can restore you. And today, would you write this down if you're taking those notes today and getting this theme set? That God can father. Now I know, off the jump, you're like, well, that didn't. God can't save. Woo! God can't. Because when we think of father, we don't often think of an action. We think of a position. We don't think of a verb. We think of a noun. But please understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about simply the position of father but the work that is to father. God can father. Because it is one thing to have kids, it's a whole nother thing to father. To father is to evolve. Because what the demands, the needs, the necessities of being a father or doing what it is to father change. They change from season to season. They change from child to child, and anyone who has embarked, anyone who has fully embraced what it is to father, understands that you have to change, and you have to grow, and you have different needs and different seasons, and the way you fathered when they were three, you can't father them that same way when they're 30. You can't can't tell them the same thing when they were two that you tell them when they're 12. Like It has to evolve. To father is to provide strength. To father is to provide stability. To father is to provide correction. To father is to instill confidence in those you father. To father is to be misunderstood. To father is to not always have everybody around you, everybody peering in from the outside to understand what you're doing. Because at the end of the day, to father is to bring something to your children that they need in that moment. And everyone who father, everyone who parents understands this. Particularly those of us who father. Because folk might agree with your what, but criticize your how. As a father, as someone who does father, there will be times that people agree with what it is you are trying to accomplish, but they will offer their two cents. (laughs) They will criticize, they will will try to tear apart how you go about accomplishing what it is you're accomplishing. Like, Like everybody would agree, every person would agree. That to help your kid be healthy is, is, is part of what a father does. You want to make sure they're eating and eating well. You want to make sure that, that they get the, the, the vaccinations that they need when they need it. You want to make sure that they are, they're, they're playing enough so they, they, you know, they develop some natural strength. You want to you make sure these things happen. Why? Because you're trying to help your kid be healthy. My son was born with a congenital heart defect. Before we left the hospital and took him home for the very first time he had had half a dozen uh, open-heart surgeries and uh, cath lab procedures on his tiny little infant heart. Um, Part of our reality very early on the first several years of his life centered around the protection of him from disease. His doctors were very very concerned about him getting sick when he was small because he was, his immune system had been so compromised so early as he was simply trying to get this heart situated so it would pump the blood and do what it needed to do. So to help in this, the first uh, three or four years of his life when cold and flu season would come around or as they more commonly called it in the, in the, in the heart world the cardiology world, RSV season um, my son had to get these shots now these weren't your normal little flu shots, it was a shot called Synergis and the Synergis shot uh, thank goodness for good insurance at that time um, these uh, Synergis these shots if you had to pay for them outright literally cost multiple thousand dollars per shot I'm talking about six, seven, eight thousand dollars a shot. And they came off of these gigantic needles, like not just long, but but they were thick needles where 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 like this, this paste would be injected into his little bitty body. Now I say little bitty and that's relative, because he was little bitty uh, as far as in, in the grand scheme of things, but for someone getting synergists, uh, our little guy grew quick. Now, he came out real, real small, and then the heart surgeries, he kind of got smaller. But we got him to the house, we got this full fed, you know what I'm saying? And even though now he's tall and he's skinny, like like early on in life, this, this dude was a chunk, okay? I'm talking about he had three, four chins that he would collect, like just chunky. And so, these synergist shots were given to you based on your weight. So, what started as a little dose kind of in, in year one turned into quite a bit a few years later. And I remember this was probably about his, he he was probably a little over two years old, his third round of having these synergy shots. And our guy wasn't the best communicator, but he understood some stuff. And he was a chunk, I mean just thick. And so when they come to the time to give him these synergy shots, they didn't come with one shot, they came with two. Because they couldn't get enough of the medicine in one. So he had two syringes. And this, this was given to him like, like in his upper leg. So they were about to go left leg, right leg on my little guy. Now he had been to the doctor enough times and seen this enough to where even though he couldn't communicate his displeasure uh, with words, he could communicate his displeasure, if you know what I'm saying. And, and he got so worried when this was going on, he, he, he would begin to cry, begin to yell, begin to do all this kind of stuff. Well, on this particular day, when I took him to get his synergist shot, uh, the, the doctor's office where we went was very busy for whatever reason, so busy that they asked, because he had this very, he just needed to get the shot and get on, they asked if they could administer the shots in the lobby of the doctor's office. So rather than taking one of the little rooms where you can close the door and kind of dampen some of the tears and the yelling, like, like they were just like, can we do this right out here in the lobby? And I was like, uh... I was like, okay, but you know, I have to like hold his legs down because he'd be a little bit of a fighter, you know what I'm saying? They're like, oh, it's fine. And so the nurse gets everything ready and we lay him down literally on the counter in the lobby. There's all these people around. And my dude is not having it this day. He knows what's about to happen. He knows it's about to hurt. And so he is, you know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, somebody in the peanut gallery, as my son is in between shot one and two, Decides to offer their opinion on what I should do as a parent. And this, 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 this lady starts telling me, oh, dad, take him home. He don't need all this. And I'm sitting here thinking, who are you to tell me what is healthy, what is good, what is needed for? Me? You don't know what he's been through. Now, if I would have sat down with this lady, I'm sure she would have understood But I didn't have the time to sit down with this lady because I had a kicking little two-and-a-half-year-old who did not want his next shot of sinages, and he needed it. And so I just uh, smiled, if you will, and carried on with my business because I understand that to father is to be misunderstood. Come on, as you're raising a child, if you've ever had the responsibility of raising a child, you know, developing character in them and behavior management type of things is a significant thing and not everybody will agree with your strategies at all times. If you're the type that tries to talk to your children and, you know, really not, not, not lay a hand on them because you're very intent with your emotions, there are people who will tell you as you're trying to counsel an awful therapy to your two and a half year old, If you spank his hind, he'd be fine. You know, like like they just see it differently. Funny thing is, you could be in the same place and if your child acted up and you chose spanking, you also know that there'd be somebody sitting somewhere that would pick up their phone and dial 911. Be talking about, I am watching parental abuse to a child. I need an officer here. In fact, I need multiple officers. This gentleman is large. Like I need multiple officers here because this is not okay because what are we to do? What we are to do is to understand that a father is to be misunderstood. And today, I want to take you on a little journey through one of the most beautiful stories that Jesus ever told with some of the greatest insight into who our God is, how our God operates, and how God fathers. Not just that he is father but how he actively follows. It's a story that, truth be told, has been given the wrong name. Not by God, not by the scripture writers, but by people who come in after the fact and try to make things easier on us. I really believe this story is mislabeled. It's a story that, for those of you who've been to church a time or two, you may have heard it referred to, may have heard it preached as the story of the prodigal Son. But would you believe me if I told you this story wasn't about a son, but about a father? Would you believe me if I told you this story wasn't about one prodigal, but two? Because to be a prodigal is not what we have culturally adapted prodigal to be. Being a prodigal is not something that has anything to do with leaving. Being a prodigal is someone who wastes what they are made available, typically very on, early on in life. God can father. And today, friend, he wants to father you. And my prayer over these next few moments as we read, unpack, and apply the word of God today is that you would see yourself in this story and you would begin, maybe for the very first time, to let God father you. Luke chapter 15 is where this is found. Jesus is giving a reply to an accusation made against him wherewith he tells uh, consecutive stories. A story about a lost sheep, maybe you've heard it. A story about a lost coin. Maybe you've heard it. And then he embarks on this much longer story about a father and his two prodigal sons. It goes like this in verse 11. It says a man had two sons. See what I mean? The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, get sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. This is a story about a father. A father who off the jump extends grace that only a father would to both of his sons. A man had two sons. And from the onset of this story, grace gets extended by that father that only a father who would father would extend. See, the younger son comes to his father, as the story tells us in Luke chapter 15, and he asked for his inheritance in in advance while the father was still alive. To say it another way, the younger son came to his father and said, Father, I really wish you were dead because all I want from you is your money. now that piece of the story maybe you are familiar with we just read it but hearing it again through the lens of a father breaks your heart doesn't it if you were to ever have kids or maybe you do have kids could you imagine one of your children coming to you saying i really just want the stuff that you have i don't want you or relationship with you But I told you the father off the jump extends grace to both of his sons. See, the older son, while Jesus does not say this culturally, his listeners would have have been waiting for him to talk about the older son stepping in and doing what the older son should do because the first century Jewish family had family dynamics that were very rigid and ingrained. It was not free-flowing and we do this in our family, you do this in your family. There, were, there was structure to the way the family was set up. And the father was unequivocally and always the head of the family as, as not a, not a, uh, not a uh, president or not a leader or not a he was He was the king of the family, if you will. Second in command in the family was not what you would expect as an American in 2023. Second in command in the family would have been the oldest son. Then after the oldest son would have been the matriarch, the mother. And then on there, down from there, the family dynamics would flow. And if anyone in the family ever had a problem with the father, culturally, it was the responsibility of the oldest son to step in and mediate this situation so jesus's listeners in luke 15 as he's telling this fanciful story would have been waiting would have been wondering would have been where is the oldest son when does he come in and mediate this and work this out and smooth this out but he doesn't the father Divides his assets between his two sons. The younger son packs up all his things and moves away without any mention of any mediation by the one marked for the task. Culturally, if if this older brother hated his younger brother, which as you Read the story and those of you who are familiar or those of you as you lean in as we continue to read may begin to think, oh, he didn't mediate because of his disdain for his younger brother. Well, culturally, the older brother would swallow his pride and mediate, even if it wasn't on behalf of the older brother, on behalf of his father, unless he didn't love. His father. Nevertheless, the father extends grace to his younger son with his ridiculous request. He unfathomably grants it to him and allows this divorce, this separation from their family. And he does not shame the apathy of his older son either. Which is great insight into how God fathers us. See, the picture Jesus gives here is one of a father, a good father, God our father. And as we lean into the response and the reaction, the the treatment that comes from this father, we see God our father extended to us. William Temple put it this way one time. He said, God grants us freedom even to reject his love. This is a hard concept to grasp for us today. It's an unfathomable concept for them to grasp in the first century Jewish world. Because the father would never extend this kind of freedom. The father would force his, his, his way, he would force his will upon his family. But God grants us freedom. He grants us freedom to accept or reject. To make decisions that are not wise. To make decisions that won't be for our good. To make decisions that we may ultimately regret. He allows us to separate ourselves from him. But that does not mean he separates himself from us. You see, even though the son, the younger son, told his father, I don't want to be your son anymore. The father still remains the father. See, the younger son, it's like he he broke the cord, he, he dropped his, his end of the, of the relationship. But the father still held on to his end of the rope. Why would he do this when his son is embarrassing him? Why would he do this when his son would ask for something so hurtful and so, uh, so heartless? He holds on to relationship on the chance his son might come back. And in doing so, in holding on to his end of the relationship, it's the father who suffers. But it's his suffering that provides the foundation for the possibility that the son could come back and be received into the home. It's the father who suffers every day while his son is gone. It's his father who suffers as he looks out, hoping that maybe on the road that he left, his son will come back. It's the father who suffers the ridicule. It's his father who suffers the mockery as he goes into town. And listen, can you imagine? That's, that's, that's the guy that let his son take a bunch of his money and go away. I heard about his son. His son ain't even living right. It's crazy. What a, what a crazy father. It's that father who suffers the shame and chagrin of being misunderstood. But if the father doesn't suffer, it's impossible for the son to come back into the family. See, the son can't just come home. The father can bring him back in. Jesus tells this story and the son comes to his senses sitting in a pig pen. There's no way it ever entered the mind of a young, affluent Jewish man that he would ever find himself in such a low place as feeding the animals that they had always been told were unclean. But here he is, and it was there in that low place that he came to his senses and went back to offer himself as an employee in his father's business. This younger son knew he had separated relationship. He had broken, he had dropped his his side of it and said, I don't want you. I don't want to be with you anymore. I don't want to be known as yours. I don't want your last name. I don't want all this stuff that comes with being yours. I just want what's coming to me when you die and I'm done. And even though he had said that, he came back to his father hoping that Maybe he could just get a job. Maybe he could, over time, pay back what he had taken from his family. But the father would have none of that. The father had suffered too long. He'd endured ridicule. Scorn and shame for too long. He had bis- been misunderstood for too long. See, the father was still holding his end of the rope. That's why when his son turned and started coming, and even though he was still a long way off, the only way you see somebody who's a long way off is that you're looking for them. The father hurt, but he kept looking. The father suffered. But he continued to believe, he continued to hope. The father was misunderstood, but he did not care what other people thought. He would suffer every day of his life on the chance that his son might come back home. Some of you, that's you today. And I need you to know this about your heavenly father, that just because you left the father's house does not mean you left the father's heart. Just because you left your father's house, just because you told your heavenly father, I ain't got no time for you, I ain't got no space for you, I only want what you can do for me, and now that I've gotten what it is I wanted you to do for me, I ain't really concerned about you anymore. Can I tell you, even though you left him, you haven't left his heart. Even though you walked away from his house, even though you said, I'll have nothing to do with you. I don't want to be associated with you. I don't want that label on my life anymore. Even though you left his house, you have not left his heart. See, if you've treated your heavenly father like the younger son did, please understand. God can father you. God can father you, you got all you could get from him and you went living your life. And now you find that living for yourself, living for your pleasures, living for your own accomplishments, living for your own desires and dreams ain't really it. You want to come home. And You don't know if you can. See, I think some people under the sound of my voice, that's the way you feel. There's this pool on the inside of you that knows you need to be in your father's house, knows you need to be connected in relationship with your father again. But the truth is, you, you've said a lot of things and you've been a lot of places and you've acted in a lot of ways. And you've said some things about, about, about your heavenly father and you don't know if you would be accepted because of the way you divorced yourself from him. Can I tell you what Jesus told us through this story in Luke 15? When you turn to him, he comes running to you. When you turn to him, you ain't even got to take all the steps. He will come and run to you. He will meet you where you are. You just have to turn and come back home and believe that your God can, Father. Meanwhile, verse 25 says. You say, meanwhile? Oh yeah, 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 I know some of you church folk think that's where the story ended. That is not where the story ended. A man had two sons. Meanwhile, meanwhile, while, while all of this is going on, while this great celebration is beginning to break out, meanwhile, while, while the son who was, who was lost in the house, but not lost in the heart of the father, came back. Meanwhile, verse 25 says the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his, watch these next two words, safe return. That is an English translation of what would be the Hebrew idea of Shalom. It wasn't just that he came back and he's staying down the street at the Motel 6. It wasn't just that he came back and he ain't really all that hurt. I mean, he lost some weight. you know. He ain't been eating good where he is, but he all right. To, to say that he was welcomed back with Shalom was to tell in a word what the father had done for this son who divorced himself from the family. That the father had welcomed him back in fully and called him his son. That's what he did when he put a robe on him. He said, you're valuable here, because only valuable people have robes like that. He said, you have power here. That's what happens when he gave him a ring, because the ring was a sign of power. It showed who you were connected to. It was essentially like he gave him his debit card back, and he said, you need, you, you got power now. Go do what you need to do. When he brought him back in, he threw a celebration for him, because he said, this is valuable. He is worthy. He was brought back in, not just allowed to be here until he went on to wherever he was going to go. He was welcomed back into the family. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering all your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother." was dead and has come back to life he was lost but now he is found there are many shameful misunderstood things that this father does in order to have the opportunity to have relationships but none more so than what we just read. You say, what? Yeah. It was not his preemptive dividing of his estate. Although, as Jesus was explaining this in this story, his his listeners would have, can you imagine? We would never. I'd throw my son in jail. You know, like, for real. That's what they were thinking. Before I let my younger son come tell me what is rightfully his you best get to step in. when the father takes his estate and divides it he's misunderstood it's shameful looking on the father not even allowing his younger son to leave which, yes, brought shame on the older son, but ultimately the buck stops with the father. And the father, again, is king. The father is powerful. The father can, can, can make it so nobody will see, I'm going to lock you up till you like this family. The father has the power to do that. And that's typically what a father would have done there. Not the father explaining to the people that worked for him why they couldn't work for him anymore. I didn't read that in the story. Well, wealth in this day was not liquid. This father, this house, this family wasn't wealthy because they had some amount of money in the bank or some amount of money in stocks that they could liquidate real quick. They were wealthy because they had cattle. They were wealthy because they had people that worked for them. They were wealthy because they had land. They were wealthy because they had crops. And when the son comes and asks for this this request prematurely, essentially by granting the request, the father takes all of his stuff and puts it on like a bargain rate sale. So that way he can give his son his share of the inheritance and some amount of money that he can take and then ultimately go and squander. So it's safe to believe that there were people who used to work for the father that didn't work for the father anymore. Land that the father used to care for that now he couldn't care for because he did not have those assets anymore because he granted the request of his son. It would be shameful to have to go to your employees and explain this to them. Shameful to go to households that look to you for their livelihood and explain to them because of an arrogant, entitled request of your younger son that you are going to grant. Now they don't have a job. Now you don't have the land that they used to work anymore. You don't have need of their services anymore. Shameful. But not as shameful as this. Not even as shameful as the running. Oh, if you've been to church for a minute, I'm sure somebody preached to you uh, Luke chapter 15 and they talked to you about how shameful it was for the father to run, and it was. Because Middle Eastern men didn't run. Maybe I could be a Middle Eastern man. I don't run either. But Middle Eastern men, they, uh, they walk slowly with dignity, never in a hurry. It's a sign of power. Little boys run not wealthy middle eastern men but this father ran when he saw his son coming which meant he would have grabbed his uh, his garment that he was wearing that would have been draping the ground and pulled it up over his knees exposing his lower legs and gone running for his son. it was shameful looking in that culture but nothing was as shameful as what he does here Because he throws a party. He's the host of this party. Because his son, who was dead, is now alive. His son, who was lost, is now found. And he's celebrating. So he spared no expense in throwing this party. And invited everybody that worked for him. Everybody that used to work for him. Everybody in the family. Everybody in the neighborhood. He got, he, he got the best chef in town to carve up this fatty calf. And they are eating tonight. The DJ. He got the best DJ he could find. DJ Khaled showed up and said, another one. And another one. And another one. And he's rolling hit on hit on him and they are having a party but they all look to the father for direction in this party and rather than give the direction he was supposed to in the party the father in recognizing that his older son won't come in leaves the party to go appeal to his son he he leaves the party to make an appeal to his older son who won't come into the party. Culturally, what would have happened if this situation would have transpired is the father would never have left the party because that would look humiliating. That would look like he doesn't have control of his own family. If he got word of this from a servant, he would just say, Lock that boy up. I'll deal with him in the morning. It's not what this father does. He leaves the party, comes out to his son. The party probably stopped because DJ Collin was getting ready to roll another one. And he looked for the father and he said, another one? Oh, he ain't here. Y'all stop eating. And they see outside the father making an appeal to his son having this conversation as Jesus describes it. Not berating his son, but appealing to him. Appealing to him. So the father makes an appeal to his older son. Even though his older son, at the beginning of Jesus' story, Acquiesces from his own responsibility to make an appeal to his brother. Oh. That's grace. See, grace is not just when you get what you don't deserve. It's that sometimes we get what we could have given to others but didn't. That's grace. Grace is, yes, when we get what we don't deserve. Thank you, God. But grace is also when we get what we could have given to others. We get forgiveness even though we have chosen not to forgive the people that we should and could have forgiven. But yet God gives forgiveness to us. God provides for us even though we could have been generous. We could have helped provide for his house. We could have helped provide for others. But we didn't. But yet God still provides for us. That is grace he heals us even though we could have brought healing relationally healing economically healing in so many ways to people around us but we didn't that's grace and that's what the father extends to his son because he understands that his son has never left him but also never understood him. See, just because you're in the father's house does not mean you have the father's heart. It is entirely possible for you to be in the house of God and not have the heart of God in you. It is entirely possible for you to be in his house to have never left his house. As some folks like to say in this part of the country, to, to, to grow up in the house of God and not have the heart of God on the inside of you. Is that you? I mean, I know you would never raise your hand or say, yes, it's me in the chat, but is that you? Because the sad truth is, if it is, even if it is, you might not be humble enough to recognize because what you would say is, I'm always in service. Let me talk about? I, I always go to service. I'm online. I'm in person. I listen to, I'm always. And so I serve at everything. Come on, if there's a need in the church, if there's a need outside the church, I serve. Baby, I got t-shirts and lanyards and vests, and I got series upon series upon series of events. I've held. I serve at everything. I pray all the prayers. You find me in midweek prayer. I pray personally. I do all the things. I have read the Bible. Come on, what you want? You want to go, you want to go, you want to do a, uh, you you want to do a Bible drill and figure out who can find the verse and fastest? I got you because I know the Bible. I never did the stuff that, that, that the people who left did. I, I, I ain't ever drink or chew or go with folk who do. I didn't do this. And just like the older son, pride prevents you from seeing the grace offered to you. Because grace to you seems unnecessary for you. See, the younger son was lost and he realized it. He made terrible decisions. He said awful things. He ran from his father's house, divorced himself relationally from his father, but in a pig pen came to his senses and realized, I have screwed this whole thing up. My father is good. My father loves me. My father wants Maybe he would hire me. I know I can't go back as a son, but maybe I can go back and get a job. Because at least those people there, they got leftover food. Come on, they got some 401ks working for my father. So so maybe he would go back and hire me and I could work long enough to maybe repay. Maybe just to have some stability. Maybe I don't have to find myself in the bottom of a pig pen. The younger son was lost. And he realized. The older son was lost. And he rationalized. The older son was just as lost as the younger son. But the older son rationalized the way his lack of having the heart of his father. I was always here. I never left. I didn't go waste your money with prostitutes. I didn't do all that. Two prodigals. One son thought he was unlovable because of what he did, and one son thought he was lovable because of what he did. They were both wrong. They were loved because their father chose to father. Their father chose to look past their attitude. Their father chose to look past where they missed the mark. Their father chose to look past the shame and the scorn that was placed upon him because of their action. Their father chose to father. Which is what our heavenly father does to us. You're not lovable because you've done good things. And you're not unlovable because you've done bad things. You are only loved and lovable because your heavenly Father chose to father. He said, I don't care if I'm misunderstood. That's my child. See, your heavenly Father loves you because you started as his, not because you'll finish as his. Your heavenly Father loves you because you started as his Genesis chapter 1 Tells us that we are all humanity created in the image of God The image of God is on you. It's on me male and female. He created Us we have his image upon us. It sits on us. It rests on us We started as his because you are human because you are male because you are female his image rests on you and he says I will father you I will love you because you started as mine and the desire of God is to have relationship with you but certainty in our response has never been what he needed to extend his love just the chance that you might receive it so our father just like this father is fine being misunderstood you may not understand why i run when they turn but i run when they turn because i need them to know they're not coming back as a servant they're coming back as a son You may not understand why I leave the party, but the reason I leave the party is I need my son to know that he can do all the right things, and that's fine, he can do all the wrong things, and that's fine too, whatever. It's not gonna change the fact that I will father him. I will never let go of my end of the rope. Relationship is always possible because I will make relationship possible. That's what your heavenly father says to you. See, God won't make you love him, but he's willing to be misunderstood so that you could. That's our father, the God who can father. He's not gonna make you choose him, but the moment you turn, even though you are a long way off from where you started, he will run to you he's not gonna make you love him but some of you need a wake-up call today because you've been in his house but do not have his heart you know the the rule and the ritual you know the pomp and the circumstance you know how to say the thing and do the thing the problem is you know on the inside of you you don't have his hearts and your Heavenly Father is okay with being misunderstood on the chance that you might, come home. On the chance that you might, let him father you. See, God would rather take a chance on you than leave you with no chance, because that's what a father who fathers will always do. He would rather take a chance on you He would rather send his one and only son as the sacrifice for your sin and for mine on the chance that we might receive forgiveness, restore relationship through his sacrifice for us. He's okay with being misunderstood on the chance that you might let the God who can father you, father you. To let him love you, to let him affirm you, to let him change you, to let him correct you, to let him breathe life into you, to let him welcome you back in even though you've gone so far from him, to allow him to to change your heart even though you've been in his house. God can father you. And today, right now, I believe some of you need to step into letting God, your father, father you. Because maybe you're like the younger son today. And you would recognize right now, you say, Michael, I have gone a long way from the house of God. I've gone a long way from my heavenly father. But this is the moment I want to turn around. This is the moment I come to my senses. This is this is my big pen. I wake up today and I recognize I need my heavenly father. As you recognize and turn and come to him, he comes running to you today. And in just a moment, we're gonna pray. Yes, you sitting right there at your house. Yes, you listening to this in a car. Yes, you watching this on an airplane right now. Like, like God will meet you there. Some of you are like the elder son. You've been in his house, but you don't have his heart. And maybe that pride has broken off of you enough in these moments to where you will respond. See, that was Jesus' ultimate desire in this. This is the end of his story, but this is also the answer to the accusation made against him. See, Jesus here is picking on religious leaders who were in the house of God without the heart of God because they did not understand why Jesus would be okay with being misunderstood for eating with these people and sitting with these people and talking to these people and touching these people. And Jesus said, you've missed it. You're in the house, but don't have his heart. Some of you need to let pride drop off of you and recognize what's true about you. You're in his house, you don't have his heart. God can father you, he can. Don't be like this older son who is full of anger and full of bitterness, but knows how to do all the right things. Who's full of greed and full of spite, but knows how to present and posture themselves in all the right ways. Let God father you and tell him today, God, I need you to be my father. I need you to forgive because I'll never do enough of the good things. I need you to do for me what I can't do for myself. If you're like the younger or like the older, I pray right now you would pray this prayer with me. Say Jesus today, thank you for fathering me. Thank you for never letting go of the rope of our relationship. I I need you to take me back in. I know that you love me. I am your son. I am your daughter and I need you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to wash me like only you Jesus I ask you to save me to forgive me and to help me live like the child you created me to be I pray all this Jesus in your precious name and everybody said